The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. All right, welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker, and you are listening to episode number 59, or you're watching episode number 59 on YouTube. We're back up on YouTube this week. It is Sunday, July the 30th, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, who's uh, it's been on and off for the last uh, month and a half or so. He had some stuff going on. I had some stuff going on. Uh, if you haven't noticed, we missed an episode last week because... I have some family in town that I'm vigorously entertaining, which is why I look so exhausted and why I'm drinking whiskey in the middle of the day. <laughs> but I'm joined by my co-host, Jeff Animal Wilson. Jeff, how are you doing on this lovely Sunday afternoon, my friend? Well, I'm awesome. I'm just getting back from vacation, so that's why I missed the one week, and then last week we both kind of missed. But I was actually in Florida, unfortunately, Bill. I was nowhere near you, so I couldn't go visit you. Yeah. Uh, you come all the way down here, and you just completely avoid me. Weren't answering my texts. You just went AWOL. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, of course, uh, if you were in the area, we would have we would have done an episode in person. But, you know, I was preparing for uh, – the avalanche of, <laughs> of family coming to visit uh, that took place. Um, but it's fine because we have so much MMA action to catch up on. You and I talk all the time, but we don't talk to listeners all the time. So we got to catch everybody up. I'm going to start with uh, the biggest bang of the last two weeks, and that's John Jones's return to the Octagon after over a year layoff uh and you and i watch this is one of the last cards you and i watched together back in new jersey before i moved down to florida uh when he fought over in st prue just demolished daniel cormier and a lot of people said cormier was looking good i kind of disagree uh jones was picking him apart he was mixing up his striking so much and cormier was kind of leading with his fist trying to close the distance and landing a couple of hard punches that, you know, you know, they got through and probably touched Jones up a little bit, but I wouldn't say he was doing well by any means. And he had the one little trip takedown in the second round. But Jones was working his kneecap. He was working his liver. He was working his face. He was landing everywhere at will. Uh, he had one takedown himself, and he was just kind of setting Cormier up for that head kick which ended the fight pretty much and really came out of nowhere. He just lifted his knee and threw his leg into Daniel's face and Cormier just like leaned into it like he was in a Michael Jackson video and he was just leaning forward and <laughs> just put his face right into Jones's shin and then it was stumbling around the cage. Credit to Cormier. I mean, he's tough as fuck. He's 38 years old. He's been a competitor for decades at a high level you know, NCAA wrestling and Olympic wrestling and strike force heavyweight champion. The guys had such a historic career. Um, so do you think, do you think his ability to not beat John Jones damages his legacy at all as a competitor? And what were your thoughts on the fight? Uh, address the fight first. Yeah, I actually disagree, Bill. I think Daniel Cormier was looking pretty good in the second round. He was able to get inside of John Jones's crazy guard because he has the long arms and, you know, landing some really hard uppercuts, some really good hooks. But um, I think that John Jones in the third round did such a good job of building a habit in Daniel Cormier in the first two rounds because mm -hmm. those kicks were landing to the leg and to the body, like you said, in the first couple rounds. So I think that's why DC was like, he dropped his hands and leaned into it thinking he's going for my liver again. And that was where John Jones was like, nope. And, you know, shin to skull, and it was game over after that. Yeah. I uh, Before I let you address the uh, 
Cormier legacy question. I think John Jones doesn't get enough credit for his fight IQ. A lot of other fighters, you hear this term being thrown around. John Jones is is uh, very meticulous about studying tape and studying habits of fighters. And Daniel Cormier is a fighter who has not really changed his fighting style since he started in MMA. You know, he looks to get inside. He's always fought bigger guys because he's only 5'9", and he used to fight at heavyweight. So his game plan was always to get inside, clinch, dirty box, throw guys around, uh, and pound them out once he got them to the ground. Uh, since he wasn't able to implement that game plan with John Jones, that's where, you know, it it kind of it kind of stifles him a little bit having that same kind of style. And Jones, like you said, he he set him up for that kick by you know forcing him to react certain ways. And it was really a, a brilliant game plan. He looked composed in there. He looked as good as he's ever looked in that third round. And I don't know who the hell can beat this guy. I don't I don't think there's anybody out there right now, even even at heavyweight. But what do you think about Cormier's legacy? Because here's a guy who had never lost until he faced John Jones, had never been finished until he faced John Jones a second time, uh, but for some reason could not win over a majority of fans in his career. And, you know, this is a huge, a huge exclamation point on, on a fantastic career. Uh, do you think this is damaging to his legacy? I'll be honest. I don't think so. You know, I don't hate Daniel Cormier. I think he's an awesome fighter. And, you know, there's a reason he was light heavyweight champion. There's a reason that the UFC picked him to fill in when John Jones was stripped of his title. And, you know, let's be honest, dude. I mean, no one's ever even fought Jones a second time because – his wins have been so decisive, so conclusive that no one ever needed to. So, yeah. you know, maybe you can argue for Alexander Gustafson, but that's a whole different conversation. But, um, yeah, I don't think this damages Daniel Cormier, uh, his legacy. I mean, I think he was a good champion. He took on all comers. He took on, like you said, for the most part, bigger guys. And, you know, he was able to dominate. He dominated – the most powerful puncher in the division at the time in uh, Anthony Rumble Johnson, he fought twice and then he beat someone with a similar frame to John Jones in Alexander Gustafson. He beat the greatest of one of the greatest of all time in Anderson Silva. So uh -huh. you know, I, you know, we beat Dan uh, Henderson. So yeah, this is a couple of hiccups in his career against John Jones, but nobody's ever really beaten John Jones. I mean, we talk about the one loss he has, and it was the stupidest call ever. Um, there were 12, six to, yeah, 12 to 6 elbows against a Mark Hamill, I mean Matt Hamill, who was Yeah, we don't count that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even after the fight, Matt Hamill was like, yeah, I think he dislocated my shoulder. And you could he, you could barely understand him because he was just so banged up in the face. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he tossed him around like a rag doll in that fight. Yeah, I don't think it'll damage his legacy over time. I think he'll still be remembered as one of the top light heavyweights and even heavyweights uh, uh, of this generation. And, you know, such a fierce competitor. But I always, I do think there will be that asterisk, like, but he couldn't beat John Jones. But I think as time goes on, we're going to find there may not be a person that can beat John Jones for a while. Uh, definitely, I don't think at light heavyweight, uh, the, the only fight that really makes sense would be a rematch with Alexander Gustafson. But after the fight card last night, I would kind of like to see a fight between uh, Vulcan Ozdemir and Alexander Gustafson to find that uh, light heavyweight uh, first uh, number one contender. And in the meantime, it seems like John Jones is talking about fighting some heavyweights. He's had some talks back and forth with Brock Lesnar. Uh, this is one of the biggest, um, marketing-wise, is one of the biggest fights you can make right now. Uh, you know, John Jones is is back with a vengeance, but he's also back in and smaller than he was the last time he fought. So when he fought Ovin St. Prue, he was powerlifting a lot. He looked huge. Now he's saying he walks around at like 217. So I don't know 
if he would get in there against a heavyweight, especially as big as Brock Lesnar right away. Well, what do you think is next for Jones and for the light heavyweight division? Would you like to see him take on a Gustafson, or would you like to see him move up to heavyweight and kind of test those waters there? Yeah, that's a tough call, Bill, because, you know, John Jones, I'd love to see him go against Gustafson again, especially after what Gustafson did to both Jimmy Manoa and uh, Glover Teixeira in his last few fights. But, you know, then you have Volkan Ozdemir, who made a huge statement last night, which we'll get into in a little bit. And then we have Brock Lesnar, which, honestly, I would love to see him fight Brock Lesnar. Uh, I think that it would be a really good time for Brock to come back into the UFC, and it would be good. I think both of these guys stand to make a lot of money here. Yeah, money-wise, if you're if you're concerned about the UFC making money, this has to be the next step. Uh, you want to market Brock Lesnar and and milk that cow for everything he's worth for as long as you can. Uh, you know, maybe do it overseas so you can get away from USADA a little bit. <laughs> have that have that fight in Europe or Brazil or something. Hey, you know, let John Jones juice up and and let the and let the beast do his thing uh, that we know he's been doing over in WWE. But let, let's jump around the card a little bit because it's it's relevant to what we're talking about. Volkan Ozdemir knocked the Jesus out of Jimmy Manoa. <laughs> he and I I for one, I kind of saw this coming. I kind of predicted this because Jimmy Manoa was in an interesting predicament. For those who didn't put the pieces together, Jimmy Manoa was on his card in case either John Jones or Daniel Cormier were to pull out. So he's training as if he's fighting five rounds, and he's training as if he's fighting for a championship against either Jones or Cormier. So that has to be who he was preparing. He was probably preparing for one or the other in his fight camp. And when he realized that neither one of them were pulling out and he had to fight Ozdemir, I think it had to be like a big emotional dump for him. And that's what I was thinking his mindset would be when he came into the cage, like, oh, all right, I got to fight this guy. I guess I'll take care of him. And you can't sleep on Volgan Ozdemir. Like he said, the guy has fucking dynamite in his hands. And he proved that. He knocked Jimmy Manoa clean across the cage and put him to sleep. That was a brutal knockout. And uh, Ozdemir is the real deal. And we've seen him a couple of times. A few guys have tried the same strategy with him where they kind of try to bully him up against the cage, and he comes with these short hooks, and, and they just put people out. And then he ends up running across the cage to finish the job <laughs> after he stumbles guys back. Um, you know, I think Jimmy Manoa is still kind of, up there in the conversation, but it's kind of awkward because he he's teammates with Alexander Gustafson, who also knocked the shit out of him. Uh, and you know the the top of that division is super shallow. You know, there's not a whole lot going on. Uh, so we're kind of looking for some new talent to come up there. I think Ozdemir might be the answer. I personally would like to see him fight Gustafson. I think that would be a great fight. You have kind of a built-in storyline there because. Ozdemir just knocked out his teammate uh, in devastating fashion. So I, I think you have something something brewing there, and that could kind of hold off the number one contender spot while John Jones goes off and, and fights or, or something else in the meantime. There's talk of the UFC adding a 225-pound division. Obviously, John Jones would be tailor-made for that. Uh, so we'll see if that happens in the next year or so. Uh, what were your thoughts on the Ozdemir fight and – uh, what's next for him? Dude, I was in utter shock when uh, Ozdemir fought because he was right up against the cage. He was, you know, like you said, being bullied, and he comes out with this hook. Like, it was at a weird angle. It was kind of like a hook, but an uppercut, too. Mm -hmm. It was like an angle in between those two uh, punches. Yeah, it was a hooker cut. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> dude, he... he <laughs> Uh, he floored Jimmy Manuel. It was nuts. It took yeah. the whole fight lasted less than a minute, and that was just such a great way to open up the main card. I loved it, man. It was good for Ozdemir. I'd love to see him fight Gustafson, um, because you know you have Gustafson probably trying to get another title shot against John Jones, and like you said, Ozdemir just knocked out one of his teammates. So that that's a really good story, and I'd love to see that happen definitely in the future. 
Yeah, for sure. And you have some great storylines with John Jones at heavyweight too. I mean, if he were to meet Cain Velasquez somewhere down the line, if Velasquez can stay healthy and maybe pick up that heavyweight title, that's definitely a storyline. Uh, as everyone knows, I'm sure Cain Velasquez teammates with Daniel Cormier. So you have, you have that kind of going for you. It kind of continues the grudge match with Cormier. So you'll have Cormier possibly in Kane's corner. So, uh, you know, you can kind of keep reviving this story a little bit as you go. Um, but definitely this is the boost that the light heavyweight division needed because traditionally one of the most exciting divisions ever. And it's, it's a little light right now, especially with Jones being away. Uh, and you know, that, once you get past that top three, it's a little questionable, you know, as far as the talent in that division. Uh, so it's good to see it kind of get rejuvenated a little bit. A division that did not get a lick of rejuvenation last night is the welterweight division. Uh, the championship fight between Lee and the number one contender, Damian Maya, uh, was not favorite and there were chance of boring at the end of the fight. Uh, and uh, unfortunately for Tyron Woodley, this is two fights in a row where he's been criticized for just kind of laying back. And that style of his is super effective where he kind of backs up, backs up, backs up, and then explodes. Um, but he was kind of missing the explosion. Uh, even in the fight against Wonderboy Thompson, uh, the last fight, I believe in the fourth round, he had a big uh you know 42nd of dominance burst and he didn't really have that uh in the fight with Maya who was kind of forced to take this fight uh, a little sooner than he would have liked to uh, you know he had a pretty quick turnaround and let's be honest that's because the UFC doesn't want to see Damian Maya become champion because they think he doesn't put on exciting fights and he's not an exciting personality um from a marketing perspective they may be right uh, what are your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Uh, and are you looking forward to another Tyron Woodley title defense down the line? If so, who would you like to see him in there with? Bill, I don't even want to see Tyron Woodley defend the title again after last night, man. Um, it, you know, it wasn't boring, but it wasn't super exciting. And unfortunately, I think more that's more Demi and Maya's fault. Uh, than Tyron Woodley because Tyron Woodley fought smart. You know, he sprawled really hard when Demi and Maya would shoot on him. He kept the fight standing. Um, you know, he, he was doing a good job of striking. He landed some hard shots on Demi and Maya. You could see his eye closing up at one point. Yeah. But, you know, Demi and Maya, through five rounds, all he did was shoot on Tyron Woodley. He must have gone for like 22 shots and all of them failed. It's like, dude. I, I'm start. I'm starting to kind of side with the UFC here about why they wouldn't want to see Demi and Maya as, as welterweight champion. Unfortunately, um, so yeah, dude. Uh, nothing much to say about this fight. I thought Woodley won every round based on his sprawls alone because the stand up, you know, there was a miles and miles of difference. You could see that Woodley was clearly better. Um, so that's all I got to say about that. Yeah, I don't know if you heard the end of the fight, the post-fight interview. When Rogan interviewed Woodley, he told him this was the least amount of strikes thrown in any fight ever. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't, I didn't look, I didn't look up. To, I didn't know if that was a real statistic, but the way he said it, he was almost like, "Yeah, fuck you, Tyron Woodley. Why'd you, why'd you put on this fight?" Um, so I know a lot of people were not happy with that fight. I wasn't that into it. It was. It wasn't a boring fight because there's always that tension of what if he does get him to the ground or what if Woodley does explode and knock him out out of nowhere. Uh, the only thing I can say in Tyron Woodley's defense is arguably one of the greatest champions of all time, Anderson Silva, has had a couple of boring fights. One of them with Damian Maya, <laughs> another one with Talos Leitis, who uh, I was there in person uh, for that fight, it was in Montreal. I think it was UFC 94. Anderson Silva was the main event against Talos Latis. And Talos Latis basically sat on his ass trying to get Anderson Silva to go to the ground and refused to stand up with him. And people were leaving. I was able to move up close to the octagon and watch that one. So if Anderson Silva can get away with a couple of these, you know, snoozer fights, then anybody can. 
uh, you know, granted, leading up to that, he was this supremely dominant champion, one of the most dominant champions the sport's ever seen. And I'm sure he's going to be remembered that way. But I think Tyron Woodley needs to do a little something to save his reputation. He needs to get in there with somebody uh, who's going to give him a slugfest. Uh, you know, maybe a Robbie Lawler. You could argue that, you know, Lawler kind of, you know, he, lo he lost the title to Woodley and then, you know, came back and, and edged out a decision over a number six ranked Cowboy Cerrone last night. So you could argue that Lawler's up there. Uh, Jorge Masvidal would give him a good fight if he's able to get past Wonder Boy. You could probably justify giving him a title shot. Uh, but Woodley, I feel like, is going to have to, you know, he keeps saying he's not respected and, you know, he wants big money fights and all this. But even Dana White said he's like, I'm not letting this guy fight George St. Pierre because he's had lackluster performances in his last two fights. So uh, when you don't have the backing of the president and the people making the fights, and you don't have your performances with crazy highlight reels talking for you. It's going to be hard to get big names and big money fights. You're going to have to, you know, reprove yourself, which is which sucks to say when you're the champion. Any thoughts on all that, Jeff? Yeah, unfortunately, I got to agree with you on this one, Bill. Uh, you know, and it's not totally Woodley's fault. You know, uh, like you said, Anderson Silva had his fair share of boring fights. Uh, George St. Pierre had his fair share of boring fights. Uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but he had them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, John Jones has had maybe one or two boring fights. Um, but, you know, it ha it's something that happens. But that happened later on after they'd established their dominance. Tyron Woodley is still young as a champion. You know, yes. his third title defense. From yeah. And his most dominant performance had been against – Robbie, the champion Robbie Lawler, when he won the title and knocked him out. And before that, he hadn't fought for 18 months. So you don't really have any current highlights of your champion. And that's a problem, except for him winning the title. Uh, and it, he's fought three fights since then with, with hardly any highlights to show for it. So uh, that's an issue. I don't know what you do with Tyron Woodley next. Um, it, it's got to be a frustrating problem to have a guy who's a champion of one of the most competitive divisions historically that you can't really market. I don't know what's next for Damian Maya either. I don't know if he retires here. Uh, you know, they're not going to be quick to give him a title shot again. I mean, he's pretty much 40 years old. I think he's uh, 39 and change. So I can't really see him making another run at the title. I, I kind of envisioned him uh, retiring maybe doing some jujitsu competitions or something like that. Uh, but overall, it, you know, his jujitsu has been awesome. You know, he's really put on some amazing uh, submission and grappling performances in the UFC. I found him to be an entertaining fighter, even though he's very one dimensional. His striking had come a long way though. I mean, he was, he was uh, looking to strike with Woodley a lot more than I thought he would. Uh, he wasn't really setting up his takedowns at all. He was just kind of diving for a leg. And he does he usually does a thing where he kind of pulls half guard that transitions into a back take uh, that's actually really slick. But against a high-level wrestler like Woodley, who's expecting it, you know, good luck hanging on to a leg. Uh, so we'll move on from that fight. Uh, you know, hopefully things turn around for Woodley. I'm, I mean, I, I can't really defend his last couple of performances. It's not something that fans want to see. So uh, that makes it hard to market, but you know, he's got a great story. Uh, the guy didn't come from much. Uh, you know, he had a, he had a rough upbringing in St. Louis. Um, so I, I always kind of admire stories like that, but uh, you know, you got to perform too. I mean, it's just, it's a sport, but it's sports entertainment at the same time. So, you know, we're always looking at the marketing perspective here. Um, uh, Someone else I don't know what you really do with is the newly crowned women's featherweight champion, Christiane Cyborg Santos, uh, who had a, a pretty tough challenge for her uh, in Tanya Avenger. 
And I was surprised at a couple of things. I was surprised at Evinger's size. I didn't realize they were so close in size. And one thing that cracked me up, Jeff, was when they had the press conference and you texted me, Tanya Evinger's dressed like a plumber. I was, <laughs> and, then, and then I went and looked at the picture and she's wearing those suspenders and like all like denim and a blue button up shirt and that hat. And like, she really didn't look like a plumber, but <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> you have to admire her toughness. I mean, she comes in and, uh, I, I heard people in the bar that I, where I was watching, they were like, that's who's fighting cyborg. She's going to get creamed. Like she looks like she's just taking lessons, like learning how to fight when she's like warming up in the back, like shadow boxing. <laughs> but I mean, she was in there. I don't think she was, I don't think she had the upper hand at any point, but you know, she definitely let cyborg know she was in there and, and lasted longer than a lot of other people have. And you have to keep in mind that Tanya Avenger is not a featherweight. Uh, she's the women's bantamweight champion of Invicta. Uh, she doesn't fight at 145. Um, but, you know, obviously, Cyborg is the best featherweight in the world. I don't think there's there's anybody close. But it does say something for the toughness of Tanya Avenger that she was able to hang in there that long. What were your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Yeah, dude, I didn't realize how big Evinger's frame was. She was taller than than Cyborg, and, you know, she, she had some size on her. So that was crazy. And, um, you know, much respect to Tanya Evinger. She lasted, you know, a long time, I thought, because um, I didn't know too much about Evinger. I, after the first round, uh, my friends and I, I was watching it at a bar, and we were kind of like, all right, it's a stay of execution to get out of the first round. But uh, <laughs> and we thought that when she got out of the second round. But, you know, I felt like Tanya was in there, you know. Uh, she was throwing strikes, too. Uh, she was doing a good job of backing away from, from Cyborg. But Cyborg is just so tough, man. She hits really hard, and she's always moving, you know. She's always moving her head in, like, a circle. And, and yeah. once Avenger throws a punch, she would move back and stuff. So, you know, it was really interesting to see Cyborg – you know, come out of the first and second rounds. And, you know, I thought that part of Avenger's strategy was going to be kind of like a Muhammad Ali rope-a-dope where, you know, she would just let Cyborg punch herself out and then maybe in the fourth and fifth rounds start turning it up a little bit. But unfortunately that didn't happen. And I thought the ref stoppage was good. Yeah, yeah, the the stoppage was definitely uh, great. Uh, Mike Beltran did a good job there. And yeah, I mean, Evinger is just tough. She's known for being a tough fighter. Uh, she's defended her Invicta championship against uh, Colleen Schneider, who has been on the podcast and uh, now fights in Bellator. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Cyborg is just, I mean, here's someone who cuts, you know, 30 something pounds to get down to 145 against Evinger, who probably walks around at 145. I doubt she cut much weight for this. Uh, I don't think she cuts a whole lot to get to 135 where she normally fights, but uh, it was good for fans to get to see the toughness of Tanya Evinger. Hopefully they bring her over to the UFC. I think she can make a splash in that 135 division and kind of mix things up a little bit there. I think there's some interesting matchups for her, but yeah, getting out of the first round with Cyborg is impressive and it reminds me of like the prop bets that people do. You know, if she'll get finished in the first round. I think a lot of people lost money if there were bets on whether or not uh, Jones and Cormier would touch gloves before the fight. So uh, that had to be like astronomical odds because we know how they feel about each other. But they did touch gloves uh, before the fight. I also thought uh, Jones's comments about Cormier at the end, you know, he's like, we can squash this. Cormier is a, a true champion. He brought out the best of me. He said all the right things. And, uh, it was also pretty awful that Joe Rogan was forced to interview Cormier when he didn't even look like he knew where he was. I mean, he was, looked like he was trying to fight Dana White at some point, uh, after the fight. Uh, uh, you shouldn't force a guy like that to do an interview after he's been knocked out like that. And I think Rogan felt really terrible about doing that to Cormier. Um, but we know that's not him. We know that's, you know, the producers in his ear telling him, you know, the shots he has to get. So, but anyway, moving on, <clears throat> uh, a fight that I would say lived up to expectations 
was Robbie Lawler and Cowboy Cerrone. I'm interested in your thoughts on this fight. I thought it was nonstop action. Uh, I thought it was an incredible fight. Uh, I'm interested to hear your reaction to this fight, Jeff, and also how you scored it. Do you think uh, Robbie Lawler deserved that unanimous decision in that one, or did you see it going a little bit different? Yeah, this was such a fun fight, Bill. I mean, from the first bell, Robbie Lawler comes out with a flurry. I thought he was going to knock down Cerrone out with that first flurry because yeah. Cerrone was shell-shocked. He was covered up for like maybe a minute and a half of the first round, just not throwing anything, just trying to survive and I guess recover his nerves a little bit. Um, so, you know, like you said, nonstop action. The second round was definitely for Cerrone. So, you know, before – we get into a little bit more of the fight. I had this for Donald Cerrone, actually. I had him winning rounds two and three, but it could have gone either way. So I'm not totally disappointed that Robbie Lawler got it, but I thought Cerrone had done just a little bit more in terms of output to get the win for this. Sure. Fight. Yeah. I kind of saw it the same way. I would even have, I wouldn't have been mad with a draw. Uh, reason being, I could have seen the first round being 10-8 for Robbie Lawler. And I could have seen Cerrone definitely won the second round. And that third round was close, man. I would have to look at the numbers. Uh, depending where you're sitting, you know, it, you could have seen Lawler landing more shots. Uh, depending where the judges, you know, what their viewpoint was. Uh, it was it was real close. At the end of the fight, I I thought for sure Cerrone was going to get the decision. I saw him getting the second and third, same way you saw it. Um, but I also wouldn't have been surprised with a draw, you know, if, if uh, Lawler had gotten that uh, fight, uh, that first round, ten to eight, because that was that was the only time in the whole fight that I thought it was in danger of being stopped. Yeah, he definitely rocked Cerrone a little bit, and uh, you know, Cerrone's uh, chin has not held up as well as it has in the past uh, against guys like uh, Rafael dos Santos and most recently Jorge Masvidal, although he did take a good amount of time off. I thought it was an awesome fight. Uh, I don't know if it won fight of the night, but in my book it was. And, uh, yeah, this was an awesome card overall. I meant to say that from the top. I, I You know, top to bottom, the prelims I was in and out kind of watching and not watching because – you know, I was entertaining family and whatnot, so I was trying to sneak away and watch fights. But um, everything was great on this card. There was a lot of finishes. It was a lot of excitement. So let's move on down the list. Ricardo Lamas and Jason Knight. Lamas is ranked number three in the division against uh, Jason Knight, who I think was ranked number 15. And Jason Knight was the favorite <laughs> in this one. Uh, I'm not really sure why. You know, Ricardo Lamas has gone the distance with the champion. Mm -hmm. in, a, in an awesome fight. Uh, and Jason Knight, man, what a wily fighter. I mean, he attacks from every angle. Uh, and Ricardo Lamas was dropping bombs on his face. And Knight was still, you know, it took him a while to start wobbling. It's almost like he has a delayed reaction to getting hurt. Uh, I thought this was a really fun fight for the amount of time it lasted. And, Definitely a great win for Ricardo Lamas, but I don't think Jason Knight's stock goes down at all. I could see him being on the main card of a fight night real soon, um, and and he'll be just fine just because his fight style is so exciting. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? I agree with you 100%, Bill. Jason Knight can take a shot, man. And Ricardo Lamas, tough dude. Like you said, he's gone five rounds with the champion, Jose Aldo. So I don't know why on earth he was the underdog. But um, he's beaten Dennis Bermudez, which I thought was a very dominant performance as well. And, uh, yeah, dude, Jason Knight, even after the first couple of really hard shots, he was still standing. Mm -hmm. Still, like you said, it took him a while to get wobbled. And I thought the that the stoppage was good. Some people may have argued that it was a little too early, but I think at that point, Jason Knight had taken so many shots already that I think the ref was just trying to avoid any permanent or uh, later damage. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Lamas has gone a distance not only with Jose Aldo, but with the current champion, Max Holloway. Um, and both of those were awesome fights. So, um, 
Yeah. I I mean it's kind of it's kind of a division that's that's had a little bit of bottlenecking, which has been common uh lately for a bunch of these divisions for a lot of different reasons. But yeah, I enjoyed that fight a lot. I'm looking forward to seeing both of these guys fight again. Uh Lamas could probably get back in there pretty soon. Uh, I would imagine he's going to get a top contender, um, you know, because he was ranked number three. They had to give him a number 15 guy. So you got to wonder who they're going to give him next. But uh, looking forward to seeing both of those guys get back in there. Uh, Aljamain Sterling looked awesome, showing some dominant grappling against the uh, former champion, Hen Barrow. And this was a catchweight fight because I believe Barrow could not make weight. So they fought around 140 um and Barrow's a guy who was so dominant as the bantamweight champion until he met up with tj dillashaw twice and he had to move up in weight and then he couldn't really hang there but now it seems like he's too big to be back at bantamweight so you know kind of an unfortunate fork in the road for Hannah Barrow, but a uh, great time for aljamain sterling to shine and uh, that's exactly what he did last night i thought he put on a great performance i thought his jujitsu was awesome i thought it was creative i thought he was very controlling on the ground uh his striking is always great uh he just looked really good what were your thoughts on this one yeah bill i really liked this fight uh i thought it was really entertaining i thought sterling dominated everywhere man uh you know he's a young guy coming up and you know i i've been keeping my eye on him for a little bit now and I was telling uh, some of the guys I was with, you know, Barrao, he's been the Bantamweight champion, but you can't sleep on Sterling either. And, you know, I thought the decision was good. It got the unanimous decision. Most of the judges gave him all three rounds. I'm sorry, just one judge gave him all three rounds, but I thought he won all three rounds. So deservedly so. Uh, dominant performance. And I want to see him get in there again against someone yeah. a little bit higher now. Yeah, for sure. I could definitely see him moving up uh pretty quickly and you know he's got a good personality he's pretty good on a microphone he does the ufc unfiltered podcast every now and then he's pretty funny on there so great win for him over the former champion that definitely says a lot uh, for his standing in the division so i'll kind of skim over uh the bottom of this card brian ortega comes away with a guillotine choke um in the third round of his fight that uh you know was really close uh towards the end and then we had uh, Calvin Cater and Andre Feely. Uh, Cater coming away with unanimous decision. And we have, let's see, the third one I'll give you. Uh, Drew Dober knocking out Josh Berkman uh, in the first round. So out of those three, any anything jump out to you that you want to talk about, Jeff? Uh, I'll just mention the one fight I did see out of these three was Brian Ortega versus Renato Moicano. Uh, uh -huh. And Brian Ortega, he's a, he's a Henzo guy, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, he's one of those guys, man. You, he just needs a second to sink in a, a really tight um, submission on you. And it, it was beautiful the way he got it off. You know, Renato Moicano was coming in for the takedown. Brian Ortega locked it up real quick. And as soon as he readjusted his hips, he locked his guard behind um, Moicano and just sunk in the squeeze and it was over. He was tapping. Nice. Yep. All right. Good pick. And then the, the last fight I'll touch on, I don't know if you caught this one, but Alexandra Albu and Kaylin Curran, this was a fucking awesome fight. And a lot of people thought, including the commentators that this, you know, was do or die for Kaylin Curran. And she basically said, I just want to go out there and put on a good show. So there's reason to keep me around. I thought she did exactly that. Uh, Alexandra Albu is awesome with her power. And the, for especially for 115 pounds, you know, the way she was able to just muscle her way in and out of positions was incredible. And Kaylin Curran put on a really great performance. I thought that she won the fight. I thought she won rounds two and three. The judges didn't see it that way. The decision went to Alexandra. Uh, but I say definitely bring Kaylin Curran back because she put on an awesome performance and uh, both of these girls were getting after it the whole fight. This would this would have been my runner-up for fight of the night if uh, Robbie Lawler and Cowboy Cerrone hadn't gone down the way it had. And uh, I don't know if you caught that one or not, Jeff, but if not, uh, any other thoughts on the rest of this card here or kind of culminating thoughts on the whole card? 
Yeah, just my last thing is I agree with you uh, about what you said earlier with John Jones uh, and how uh, respectful and professional he was in his uh, comments after his fight with Cormier. I thought it showed, you know, a level of maturity. I think that the time away from the octagon has given him time to reflect. And Daniel Cormier, man, I, I felt really bad for him, you know. Not only was he kind of out of it, I mean, he got knocked out pretty hard. Uh, a lot of people probably thought the fight should have been stopped sooner, which it should have. But Cormier was the champ, and I can see the ref trying to give him a chance, you know. And unfortunately, you know, Cormier, he was out of it, and he's an emotional guy. So, you know, I, I felt so bad for him seeing him cry and stuff. But uh, I think he, he was a really good champion. And I think it was a little unprofessional that, you know, like you said, that Joe Rogan was in there interviewing him after all that. Uh, but unfortunately, it's not his fault. You know, there are guys in higher positions telling him what to do, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, overall, fucking awesome card, man. This should have been UFC 200. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely, I can say you could argue it was the best card of the year. It's one of the best cards uh, ever. Uh, maybe if you scratch the Tyron Woodley fight <laughs> off of it, uh, it was I, everything else was so exciting. I mean, top to bottom, just a really awesome card, really fun Saturday night. Uh, you can't really ask for anything better. Uh, but luckily, there's nobody higher up on this podcast telling us what to do, so uh, we can take a week off here and there. And uh, <laughs> that's what I decided to do last week because I. I produced this show, so I get to make decisions like that. <laughs> Although, if it were up to me, maybe I would have been doing this show instead of <laughs> what I was doing last weekend. That's neither here nor there. As you guys know, I don't get too into my uh, personal endeavors here on MMA on the Rocks. But uh, you and I haven't had a chance to talk about uh, the UFC uh, Long Island card, which was headlined by Chris Wyman and Kelvin Gastelum, which I thought was – a really awesome fight. I thought it was one of the better uh, middleweight fights we've seen in a long time. Uh, so I, I don't want to get too deep into this card because it's kind of old news at this point. But, you know, since we haven't touched on it, what were your thoughts on uh, Weidman's performance uh, and his uh, arm triangle victory over Kelvin Gastelum? Dude, he looked phenomenal. Um, I thought that Kelvin Gastelum, you know, I thought it was good that he was being so calm, but I think there's such a thing as being way too calm. He And he, this was a perfect example. Like, he was so calm to the point that he was in trouble and he wasn't even doing anything. Mm. Like, you know, he was underneath Weidman in that third round, and he was happy being there. Like, yeah. dude, as an All-American wrestler, he's won grappling contests that – like where he fought guys from all around the world. I don't want to be under Chris Weidman. Yeah. Do you want that? But anyway, um, I love the way that Weidman mixed up his jujitsu and wrestling together. It was glorious to watch if you're a grappling fan. Um, you know, I'm, and I think, and maybe this is a conversation for another time because I have a whole bunch of factors and variables for why I think this, but I think that Chris Weidman deserves a title shot against Michael Bisping. Wow. All right. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's coming off three straight losses, but, uh, you know, he w he wasn't doing terrible against Rockhold before he went for that awful spinning back kick that led to him getting knocked out. He was winning the fight against Joel Romero. I, I think I'm thinking these are the variables that, that you were mentioning. He was winning against Joel Romero uh, before he got knocked out in the third round of that fight. And then there was the controversy against Gegard Mousasi, who's not even relevant in the UFC anymore since he's signed with Bellator. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Weidman and Bisping would be interesting. Uh, Dana White kind of alluded that the Bisping-GSP fight is still going to happen, which is kind of disappointing to hear. I'm kind of overhearing about GSP coming back and and uh, Bisping fighting him. Um, but yeah, that... The division is kind of, it's kind of a, a clusterfuck right now, and uh, <laughs> it's. But yeah, very impressive performance by Chris Wyman, and I I like your point about Kelvin Gaslin being too comfortable. I think that was definitely a factor. An arm triangle is not 
a submission that high-level guys typically get caught in. But if you think that way and you think like, oh, I'm not going to get tapped by this. It's an arm triangle. But then you get a guy with Chris Weidman who's known for having ridiculous strangling strength and you realize like, oh, shit, maybe I can't get out of this and maybe I shouldn't have let him you know, get this far. <laughs> um yeah, bad news. Awesome fight right before that, Darren Elkins and Darren and uh, Dennis Bermudez. This was this is one of the best fights of the year, I think. Um, th- it was so back and forth. Both of these guys are so scrappy, so tough. Neither one of them was going to give up, no matter what. And uh, they're known for insane cardio. The pace of this fight was ridiculous. Uh, so, any comments on that one before we kind of blow over the rest of this card, Jeff? Yeah, I thought Elkins looked great in there. I think that going to Team Alpha Male was the right move for him. He looked dominant everywhere, man. The striking, the ground. He just looked good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, the rest of the night was not a good night for the local Long Island boys. So John Vellante losing a decision to Patrick Cummings. Uh, Well, I guess – Jimmy Rivera, kind of a Long Island guy. I think he trains out in Jersey, but he's kind of grouped in with the the local crew. And then uh, let's see, uh, Long Island guy Ryan LaFleur getting knocked out in the second round by Cowboy Oliveira. And let's see. I, another fight that jumped out to me is uh, Marlon Cheeto Vera uh, with the really slick armbar over uh, Brian Kelleher. So out of those three fights, out of any of those – kind of jump out to you. So John Belante, Patrick Cummings, uh, Jimmy Rivera, Thomas Almeida, I guess four fights, uh, Cowboy Oliveira, Ryan LaFleur, and Cheeto Vera, Brian Kelleher. Uh, Probably the one that stands out to me the most was Alex Oliveira versus Ryan LaFleur because LaFleur was looking good up until that second round, and then he charged in too quick. Alex Oliveira kind of moved his head and just – uppercutted him from the depths of hell so <laughs> you know that that finish was crazy so then we go back and watch that one uh so that's probably the the one that really is still stuck in my head even after a, over a week yeah for sure um so not a lot of uh we kind of have like a little lull in the action we got a big fight night coming up uh august 5th and that's in Mexico City, and it's headlined by Brandon Moreno and Sergio Pettis. Uh, this flyweight division definitely needs a breath of fresh air, so hopefully uh, you know, an impressive performance by one of these guys can, can kind of do the trick there. Uh, and then we have – I'll kind of go over a couple of things on this card. We'll touch on it briefly uh, to kind of save time here. But Alexa Grasso and Ronda Marcos in the co-main event. And then we have Rashad Evans – and smiling Sam Alvey. So Evans making his uh, second run at the middleweight division. And then we have Alan Joban fighting the undefeated Nico Price. And let me see if I got one more that jumps out to me here. Nope. <laughs> uh, so any thoughts on this one, Jeff? And, and just because no names are jumping out on the list to me doesn't mean this isn't going to be a great card. In fact... Quite the opposite. It's usually cards like this that surprise you and uh, end up with some really exciting action. But out of those matchups I read off, any of them uh, kind of uh, wet your palate there, Jeff? Hmm. Honestly, I'm I'm pretty stoked for this Rashad Evans fight. Uh, second fight at middleweight, I believe, uh, versus Sam Alvey. Should be good. If Alvey shows up, I think it's going to be a really good fight. Yeah, agreed. I could say the same for the for the main event. Um, I don't, I don't really see how this is a main event unless they're really trying to breathe some life into this flyweight division. But you know, Sergio Pettis has some name recognition. Um, definitely young stud. Uh, so you know, this could be this could be a pretty solid card. We got some undefeated fighters on here. Uh, we got some some known scrappers, some known veterans. So. Uh, it could be interesting, so check that one out. But uh, yeah, we talked about a lot of MMA action. I got uh, a lot of stuff I've been drinking lately, Jeff. I've been doing a lot of drinking with all this family in town because uh, that's 
that's what you do when family comes to town. Uh, so one thing I picked up, and you can see the bottle is empty here. Uh, it's been a good. It's been a good two weeks. Uh, this is Rebel Yell Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. You know how I love my bourbon, Jeff. So, of course, I enjoy this one uh, with just a few splashes of water. It's an 80 proof bourbon. It's on the lighter side for a bourbon, so I'm not sure how long it's aged. Probably not that long, but it's got a little bit of sweetness to it. Got some vanilla in there, even some kind of cinnamon notes. And uh, it's really a nice bourbon. Really, obviously, it goes down easy because I'm holding an empty bottle here for those watching on YouTube. Um, but nice little bourbon, not too expensive. So, you know, nice little uh, weekend jam here. Uh, I, I know you were out last night, Jeff, and, and the last couple of times you've been on the show, you were, you were not drinking so much because uh, <laughs> you're trying to pump the brakes a little bit after you turned into the party animal, Wilson, a couple of weeks ago. So uh, anything interesting you've been sipping on over there? Yeah, last night I was at uh, the beer spot in Fort Lee, New Jersey, and something that I really enjoyed was uh, it was called it was a white ale. I had a few different beers. One was a white ale. I can't remember the name off the top of my head because I had a weird name. But yeah. um, I also enjoyed this IPA called Evil Twin. It's by I think the Brooklyn Brewery, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Uh, so yeah, that one was pretty good. It um. It had a little bit of wheat in it mixed in with the hops, so it kind of uh, wasn't as bitter as an IPA usually is. Uh, so it was really good. Went down smooth. Went really well with the burger I was having. So nice. that was a good one. Strongly recommend it if you can get your hands on it. Goes down smooth just like a good date. All right. <laughs> so if you remember the name of that white beer, uh, tweet it out to the people. You can find Jeff on Twitter at animal underscore Wilson. He always loves a good uh, – MMA discussion, debate, or uh, some drink tips. And, of course, I'm always looking forward to seeing what you guys are drinking lately. Everybody sent me some awesome recommendations this weekend on Twitter. Of course, you all know where to find me, at MMA on the Rocks, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, MMAontherocks.com, and MMA on the Rocks on YouTube. So if you're listening on iTunes or Google Play or anywhere else, you know you can find us on YouTube. All right, for Jeff the Animal Wilson, my name is Bill Welker. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.